What number is this, Chip? Episode 64, John Billings from the Live Monkeys touring band stops by Zilch and Monkey News. Hashtag induct the monkeys. <laughs> okay, don't, mean, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. I'm Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a monkeys podcast. Another episode of Zilch, a podcast full of monkeys. We are glad you're joining us today. Today I'm flying solo in the captain's chair here, and we have an excellent show for you today. Today on Zilch, we have a very special guest, John Billings. That's right, the big man on bass with the Monkeys Live Touring Band. He will take us backstage, and we'll get to see a little bit, a glimpse behind the curtain of what goes into putting on a monkey show, how he became a bass player. And what does Gene Simmons, Rick Springfield, and the Monkees all have in common? So, this is going to be fun. But before that, it's time to get into some Monkees news. Replacement boxes for the Monkees Blu-ray, the complete series, have been shipped. or starting to be delivered to people who have turned in that their box was defective. John Hughes from Rhino posted this on the Zilch Facebook page. Looks like replacement boxes are now shipping to everyone who filled out a form. Apparently this began without fanfare or even letting me know. So I'm getting all the information on this hopefully later today and I will update you all. And he did. And he said that they are shipping out replacements cases to people who had damaged sets. So if you are one of those people who had a damaged Blu-ray box set and you want to get a replacement box, you have to go to monkeystore.warnermusic.com forward slash contacts. And they'll ask you to send a picture of the damage. And since the sets were individually numbered, they would also like to know your limited edition number as well. So thank you, Rhino, for taking care of this and getting boxes into people's hands. The first report that we had back that this was happening came from Mary Ann Francis Cowley. She posted, picked up my package from UPS. I have in my possession one pristine box to house my Blu-rays. Thank you, Rhino, for understanding fandom. And it's very cool that this is happening. And it's neat to see people posting the pictures as they are coming in. Also in Monkey News this week, the guys are on a tour break. We are getting reports from Barnes & Noble stores and from Best Buys that the stores are running out of good time CDs. Now here's the thing. When you talk to the folks at Rhino, they're saying that Best Buy and Barnes & Noble are saying that they're completely stocked with good times merchandise and CDs. The problem is, is that we're seeing something different. So I want to encourage everyone out there to contact their local Best Buy or their local Barnes & Noble. If you see a Best Buy store or a Barnes & Noble that does not have enough Good Times albums, and what I'm talking about is when you go and there's the slot where Good Times would be and they're gone, we need you to contact either their manager or district manager and what you do is you go to either bestbuy.com and do a search for store location get the number and ask to speak to a manager do the same thing at your Barnes & Noble 
if they've run out of t-shirts and they've run out of good times the clerks might not be reporting back that the things are actually out of stock so go online find the number for your local Barnes and Noble and your local Best Buy and make a call ask to speak to a manager this is a good thing we can do we are also really starting to pick up on our movement to get the monkeys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and we call that hashtag induct the monkeys hashtag induct the monkeys there is a Facebook page called hashtag induct the monkeys and things are really starting to heat up we'd like to thank everybody who's gotten on board everybody from Jody Ritson to, to everybody in monkey fandom who's who's getting to be part of this and it's it's exciting to see it happen we actually talked to John Billings about this in this coming episode so what we're trying to get people to do is when you tweet use the hashtag hashtag induct the monkeys and try to try to do things like find out who is on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for example Questlove from The Roots or little Steven from Bruce Springsteen and underground garage fame he's he's also on the board so let's try to raise awareness you can even tag Mickey in it and that's kinda of fun so let's get this done let's make this happen alright well without further ado this is John Billings of the Monkeys Turing Band and you're listening to Zilch the Monkeys podcast please use the hashtag induct the monkeys and let's get these guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame joining us today on the Zilch hotline is the one the only John Billings come in John Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing very good. Ladies and gentlemen, live and direct on the Zilch Hotline, we have the bass player for the Monkees, John Billings. Welcome, sir. How are you guys doing? How are you doing, sir? Doing very well. And you are out there kicking it on the road with the rest of the touring band of the Monkees and Peter and Mickey. It's just fantastic what you guys are doing. This is my favorite touring band, if you will. You know. Oh, that's great to hear. Good. You guys are cooking. And, and before I go into too much praise, I'd like to kind of run over your resume. You were kind enough to send over your resume, and I'm only going to read a portion of it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> because if I read it all, I would run out of breath, and, and we don't want that. So no, we, don't, we can't have that. <laughs> from 2012 to now, you've been playing bass for the Monkees. You also played for some guy named Mickey Dolans, which uh, we know that when you're not playing with the Monkees, you kind of do work with him. Yeah. You played with Donna Summer. Yeah, I was with her for, for quite some time. Wow. Winona Judd? Yeah, I was with Winona for a while. She was, uh, she was wonderful. I still see her. I still see her and uh, her husband around town, and they're really cool people. Mm-hmm. And, and this next person, I think everyone, male or female, whatever, has a crush on Rick Springfield. Well, for, primarily it's females, but yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's even my my wife gets giddy around him. Well, but yeah, yeah, he's he's great. That was a that was a great year. That was a, a just a year out of my life, but man, that was a lot of fun. And you know, it's just amazing because he looks so amazing for his age, and I'm I, you know I'm not crazy? trying. He's got a portrait somewhere in an attic. <laughs> the old well, Dorian you know what? Gray. You got to hand you got to hand it to the guy. I've been around him, so I know what he does. He, he eats right. He doesn't eat a lot. He takes care of himself. And he used to drag around on the road like the guy travels with nothing. It's amazing. He mm-hmm. travels with like a little overnight bag. Mm-hmm. He somehow magically has like a multi-dimensional suitcase where he could stash <laughs> more more crap than anybody. And 
he but the, he would have that little bag and tied to it one of those little uh, ab roller wheels. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. He just he's working out. He's taking care of himself. And he just like it really works. You see that dude, and you go, "Wow, it's you know he's doing something right." Yeah, I good know. Looking man. Good looking man. Yeah, he's he's actually a very good looking guy. He always was and still is. It makes me sick. <laughs> what kills me is he looks better now than I did when I was twenty. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it's just sad. It's just sad. And and by the way, he's going to be on uh, Supernatural this coming season so we're looking that's forward right. to that that's right i'd watch him for that that'd be great now did you ever become aware of his geeky star wars habit absolutely i mean and he also has this um he has this crazy titanic collection mm. and i i i really could be misquoting myself when i say this but i think he has one of the larger private collections of titanic stuff now we're not talking about like the that. movie. We're talking about actual Titanic. Oh, we're talking about he's a he's a Titanic, the actual ship. He's a yeah. freak about that, and he also collects um, he collects Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he was on. I was like a geek growing up, a, a science fiction geek, and he was on the pilot of Battlestar Galactica, which was you know one of my that's one of my geek pleasures was the the early season, the early yeah. episodes, and then the original the, uh, seven the remake, right. the originals. Yeah, the original. He was the pilot. He was. Apollo. He was Apollo's brother mm-hmm. who was killed in the pilot. That was Rick Springfield. So, like, when my going away present, when I uh, when I left, he gave me an 8x10 of himself with Apollo from the pilot signed to John. And I was like, dude, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> you were in Battlestar Galactica. And, you know, he, he also survived in a music business that where one day you're hot and the next you're not. He keeps coming back. He's still going, and he still has a hardcore fan base. Yes. And um, it, you know, he's playing right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, I've been, you know, I still follow him online. I'm friends with the guys in the band. Mm-hmm. They're working constantly. They were on TV the other night. They were on yeah. some ABC show. He's nowhere near stopping. He's he has a blast doing it. Uh, he still delivers, and um, he's remarkable. I had a, like I said, it was a great, great run. I had a good time with him. That was a long time ago. That was like 2000, and I guess four because my daughter was six months to a year or something like that. First daughter. So yeah, it was a blast. It was a really good time. Amazing. Well, since this isn't the Rick Springfield podcast, we are we're going to stick with the monkeys. But getting back to some other people you've played with, Leanne Womack, Tanya yeah. Tanya Tucker, Brady Seals, Patty LaBelle, Lita Ford, Paul Anka. I will admit a lot of these are one offs. Well um, still, come on. I mean you get moments where you get like Paul did a show with, with Donna Summer and, and he needed a band, so the band played for Paul, so I did Paul's stuff and then uh, I did a show with Winona with with uh, with Patty, mm-hmm. and I mean, I was, I was I went crazy. That was like one of the best nights I'd ever had. Yeah, uh, playing, you know, Lady Lady Marmalade with Patty Labelle, and oh, that's that got to be nuts. a trip. So some of those, I mean, it sounds like I was like the busiest man in showbiz, but some of those were just one-offs, and that's just part of the whole resume thing. You list all the stuff you did. You know? mm-hmm. So it sound you make it sound amazing. Well, it is. <laughs> listen. If I got to do this, I would like be able to retire. You know what I'm saying? But we've got Gary Lewis and the Playboy, Steve Cropper. Come on, Steve Cropper, Ty Herndon from Garth Brooks's yep. band, uh, John Karabi, who Kiss fans and Molly Crew fans will know. Michael Wagner, Alice Cooper fans know him. Mark mm-hmm. Lindsay of Paul Revere and the Raiders. All yeah, of our that was through Mickey. You know, like uh, Mickey would do shows with with Mark, mm-hmm. and it used to be he didn't travel with his own band all the time, so we would. He would kind of take the same band, or take take Mickey's band exactly. Yeah. And we had God, we had a blast. It was me, Wayne back then? I think it was Sandy Gennaro was playing drums, mm-hmm. and David. And we'd go and you know, it was just a blast. It was just a great time. 
And we've got Kane Roberts, who Alice Cooper fans yeah. know, and uh, Peter Tork, some guy named Peter Tork. I, I think I think we're familiar. <laughs> I believe it was Torkelson. Ah. <laughs> Didn't spell it all, so I was just shorting it. And then you had Nancy Wilson. Is that Nancy Wilson from Heart or Nancy Wilson oh, from Nancy Wilson, the jazz singer? Um, ah, yes, yes, yes. Fantastic. Johnny Hammond Smith in Los Angeles, and he he was an organ organ player, or like primarily as like a B three guy, but he also did piano. And mm-hmm. and uh, I did it. I did a couple things with him where he'd have guests, and one of them was Nancy Wilson. I was just it just blew my mind that I was there with you know, with Nancy Wilson, but she was wonderful, and it was a that was a memory I'll. I always cherish. Wow. You know, I could do a show just me pulling a uh, Chris Farley kind of thing, say, remember that time when you were with? But <laughs> but I won't. I won't. Good, because I'm getting older. My memory's getting worse and worse. <laughs> well, maybe we like, should do that no, now before it goes, you know. And you're also currently endorsed by Epiphone, Eden Amplifiers, and Jim Dumlap, and Oasis Strings, right? Yeah, I'm, that's a little bit. That resume is 2013. I, actually, right now I'm working with Trickfish Amplification, mm. and that's a that's a company. I believe, actually, I think they're manufactured in Kentucky. I, I'm embarrassed I have to say that, but I actually worked with them through a, an old friend of mine from Los Angeles, Richard Roos, who's a another amazing bass player. That's his company. That's his pet project, and he set me up for rig to take out with these guys, and I love it. And, well, whatever you're uh, doing, Dunlop, it sounds good. A, you know, on and off again, relationship with those guys forever. I love their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when I get busy, I'll call up Daryl at Jim Dunlop and, and and pester him about you know uh, strap locks and strings mm-hmm. and things. They've been wonderful. They've been really good to me. Well, we give a shout out to them. Whatever you're playing out on the road, it sounds great. So you know, well, keep it up. Sir. And we always tell our listeners, if you're not following John Billings on social media, you're missing out, especially as a Monkees fan. You do not tell that to people. We Come on do. Now. It was on our episode with Annabelle Jones, that, that, that same oh, episode, wow. 63, we mentioned it. Because, you know, you, you have all these cool behind-the-scenes pictures, sometimes setting up with the monkeys or just you guys traveling from location to location like there is a really cool picture of wayne avers in a telephone booth like where yeah. do you find a telephone booth in, in 2016 exactly. that's exactly and you, you, we were walking down the street and there it was of all weird things you know in some yeah. little town in the middle of nowhere in canada that was in canada i think it was in a yeah. small town in canada mm-hmm. and we we just stopped for a quick bite to eat we didn't even know where we were <laughs> <laughs> the bus pulled over we hopped out and then you know these uh, these guys that looked like they were 100 years old started coming out of nowhere and actually sat out by the bus, like you know, like an old uh, yeah Andy Griffith episode. They like sat on a bench and just looked at the bus and where are y'all from? You know, they probably played checkers <laughs> over an old pickle barrel. So that was you know. exactly right. That's exactly that's the same kind of you know imagery you get. I think but I've been there in every state. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if people want to follow you on Facebook, they should do that at facebook.com forward slash Johnny B two U. B two U are the letters, of course. So. Uh, but check it out, and we will put links in the show notes. That'd be fantastic. I think I'm I'm about to expire all my number of friends, but you can still follow the page. Right. Well, you better not kick me out, buddy. I'm telling no, you. No, no, no way. That's not going to happen. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about your monkey's history. I want to hear about the first memory you have of the monkeys, and then we'll get into your life with them as a touring act. Absolutely. Take I, us back. I don't. It's funny to. Well, if I can start this again, I work with the with a band that has an 
unbelievable legacy mm-hmm. and an incredible impact on fans globally. And sometimes to this day, I'm still not fully aware of that impact that they had and that what they carry to this day, the legacy that they still carry to this day. I'm always surprised and shocked and amazed because it's just, you know, you not to belittle what I do, but you show up, you do your job, and you go to the next town, and it becomes kind of, you know, where are we at today? I don't even remember. I forget. Mm-hmm. And then you, you bump into people outside that have posters and signs, and they want to see somebody, and they want to meet them. You talk to them, and they go, this thing means the world to me. And I I forget that part. I forget that sometimes because it, it's just easy to, to – it becomes routine sometimes. But I didn't have that kind of an impact with the guys, but my first memories of them – were when I was a kid going to visit uh, relatives, ironically enough. It wasn't even on in the town I was living in. And this is probably, this has to be the early 70s. I imagine these are, this obviously is reruns, because I was born in 66. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go visit cousins in Washington, D.C., and then they had two shows that I had to see, and one was uh, Ultraman. I loved Ultraman. Mm-hmm. And the other one was The Monkees. And so I only saw a limited number of episodes when we were visiting. We'd visit and they'd be on, you know, today or the next day. Uh And I have funny memories, flashes of just weird moments in the show, like Mickey messing with the mannequin guy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the the, the fast, the high speed chases and hijinks and things like that. So I, you know, I had the memories of just being a kid on a trip to family and, and having those stuck in my brain, which they all came back. The first time I met Mickey, it all came flooding back. I met Mickey in an RV of all things. You know, I had a job with him in Tacoma, Washington, and Wayne wanted me to meet, meet Mickey. And he, he, we were we were playing outdoors somewhere. They had RVs set up for us as green rooms, and he he brought me in. He shoved me in the door. And he said, "Hey, Mickey, this is our new bass versus John." And you know, Mickey's like the consummate gentleman. Hey, how you doing, buddy? And I hadn't slept the night before because I had had a gig the night before and stayed up all night, got up early, had the shed tunes. So I was running on pure adrenaline, sleep deprivation, the whole bit. <laughs> and uh, all those memories started flooding back of those episodes and Mickey talking to the the, you know, the mannequin guy and uh, all this stuff, this weird stuff. You know, it happens when you meet somebody like yeah. that. The memories come back. You see, you know, you know, Mickey's older now, but he still looks like he did as a kid. Yeah, and all came rushing back. I think Mickey said something to me like, "So, you ready for the show?" And I went, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Just joking, and the look on his face was priceless. I mean, he completely believed that I was not, you know, ready. But that was. <laughs> That was uh, my memories of the show were just growing up like everybody else. They'd be on or MTV, and but I wasn't the hardcore fan that so many people are, and that's what's so cool about being around it now is seeing how they touched everybody, and that's uh-huh. that's something I try not to take for granted. I know I talk like I get used to it, but I try not to take it for granted. Well, you almost can't because I'm sure every every tour stop, whether it be a Mickey solo show or a Monkey show. The fans are, are a perpetual reminder of the impact that they've had, Absolutely. whether it be their music or the television show or perhaps a kindness or something like that. It's just Ooh. absolutely amazing to see how that whole thing has continued to go on and on. I see that with everyone I work with. Mm-hmm. I, I encounter that in every, you know, Winona's fans used to hand cassettes to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you've to hear this song. I wrote it for her or... They'd have a have a story about seeing Winona with her mom. Oh my God, the Rick fans were just rabid, uh-huh. just rabid. They were young women when they saw Rick on TV on the soaps, or saw Jesse's girl for the first time with the skinny tie. Yep. And now they're 
they're older, <laughs> they have money, they can come and travel. See, it's it's interesting to see these artists have all cultivated and and maintained these uh, amazing fans. And the monkeys are no different. And because of the, I think the length of time the monkeys have been around, the fans that, that's set in even deeper. Uh-huh. It's set in even a little, a little deeper than what I'm used to. Right. And. And you see it in younger people, too. That's what's really interesting. A lot of times you see younger faces. Mm-hmm. You know, I expect to see people my age and older. And it's the opposite. There was a little girl in, um, where was that? What in Louisville? Oh, these town, uh, towns are running together in my brain. Mm-hmm. We were somewhere, and um, I remember a little girl. She couldn't have been more than 16, 17 years old with stacks of records. She wanted the guys to sign. And she waited outside in the 100-degree heat. Wow. To meet these guys. And I'm going, how could you even know who these dudes are? I mean, you're 16, 17 years old. Just love them. They have an impact on her. The show had an impact on her in some form or another through reruns or the music. And there she is. You can't deny it. There they are. And, you know, every time that, like, let's say that they air the show on Antenna TV or somebody sees it on YouTube or buys the new Blu-ray set, Every time Davy Jones, you know, has that stars in his eyes, somebody <laughs> out there is falling in love with Davy for the first time every day. That's exactly right. That's so, exactly right. You know, I love it, to see those clips when Andrew Sandoval plays them, you know, and you see Davy's got stars and the girls have stars, and mm-hmm. that's, that's a classic moment for me. I love that. It is, it is such an iconic moment for us as fans. Davey. Uh, Davey. Davey. Uh, look, statistics uh, prove that two out of three teenage marriages end in divorce. Uh, three out of three. Four, uh, four out of three. <laughs> He's in love. Yeah, for the very first time today. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about how did you become a bass player and who did you like when you were, you know, coming of age? What was the first music that kind of grabbed you? You know, some people might have been the Beatles or Kiss or whoever. Who was that first band or artist that looked like you said, wow? Well, I wish it could be like a jaw-dropping moment for you, but it was Kiss. <laughs> that is a jaw-dropping <laughs> moment for me. It is. I mean, most people are like, oh, it's Paul McCartney or it's Hendrix, and it was, you know, some iconic band. It was, I wanted to be Gene Simmons. I loved Kiss. And um, I thought they were so cool. My buddies all listened to it. I listened to it. That was my era. That was when I, you know, I was born in '66, so that's when I'm listening to music now. It's Kiss and Van Halen, uh-huh. and um, I thought Kiss was really, really theatrical, and that appealed to me as a teenager. And Gene Simmons just looked so cool. And and I, at the time, I was playing cello. I was a cellist, uh-huh. so I uh, I read music, and the bass just seemed like a natural progression. And also, where I was from, everyone's playing guitar. Uh-huh. Everybody was a guitar player. Everybody had an amp and a guitar. Oh no one God. played bass, and it, it just made sense to me at the time that if I want if I wanted to be playing with people, and not be like one of the guys waiting to sit in, uh-huh. then if I played bass, I'd be playing all the time. You know, so, you're telling my exact yeah. same story. I'm a bass oh, player right? as well, <laughs> and also Gene Simmons and Paul McCartney were my two bass idols in a sense. Yeah, I always looked at it as if I can play bass. It's kind of like the guy who was willing to play shortstop for baseball. You know, not anybody else wanted that position. But if you can play all the all the parts, you could get a job a lot easier than anybody else. So, yeah, exactly I, right. I dig it. It seemed like in high school, my whole circle of, of people, they all played guitar. And they all played 
you know, about the same level. And I kept thinking, like, well, I can't. How am I going to get in this band or play with those guys if if I play guitar too? It's not going to. You can't have five guitar players. Right. And on my fort, I believe it's my fourteenth birthday. My father, well, he got it for me and my brother. He got us. Um, he got me a bass guitar, an old K bass guitar, and my brother got a K six string electric guitar. Mm. And uh, and one amp for both of us to share. No <laughs> name amp. I don't even, you know. It's one of those things. That I, it's probably like was a one off by some company that just has been dead and buried forever. Mm-hmm. And we'd both plug in that amp and compete for who was going to be loud enough to you know outplay the other, whatever. Yeah. Was it but, was it the the one channel was the louder channel of the two? Was yeah, it all, that's how it yeah. sounds like a one and two, mm-hmm. but like one's louder than the other. <laughs> you always compete for that that you know that plug. That's my turn. You know and who I, should get uh, that plug? Whoever can play better. Yeah, that plug was the best plug ever. <laughs> and uh, and I I think I don't remember now if, who did it, but my, it might have been my father, or my mother. Somebody got me like a you know Mel Bay bass book, a Mel oh, Bay yeah. uh, what they are. Uh, yep. You know that was that was the guy who wrote all the how-to books back yes. then. He probably does, but that was I got a Mel Bay bass book. I already read. I already you know I was already playing in school playing cello so it all it happened really rapidly it all i assimilated to the bass pretty quickly and and i would just have to read back then i didn't play with my ears i would i had to read it mm-hmm. my mom would go out she'd buy me a piece of sheet music and i would learn how to play that song and i think at some point she got me a, a gene simmons from the gene simmons record remember that the kiss guys all did their own yes the solo, solo albums solo 1978 record. i got yeah um she got me the the gene book and i started reading the gene book and i learned uh this is a song called sure know something yes. it has like a little you know it's not a solo but a, like a motif that happens at the front of the song and yeah, I i'm gonna that play a little was- bit of that right now Absolutely. I learned that part, and I just thought I was the coolest guy on the planet because I could play that. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I can do it. I can really – I can do this. I can I can figure this out. It's going to work. You know, I can – I can. I'll learn another song. And, and that's how it started. Wow. It literally started from there. And then I – you know, I bought Women and Children First on vinyl. Uh-huh. And uh, I saw Van Halen in concert, and I saw Kiss in concert. And I was the, – the, you know, I was that, that rock kid that, you know – Grew up in Virginia, but like that kind of the middle America blue collar rock and roll, where uh, it's real. That route with it, I kind of missed. And to me, the Beatles were like that was something that the generation before me listened to, and I kind of mm-hmm. had you know thumb my nose at that. But uh, not shortly after that, I was in a band, and people were introducing me to more music. And you know, you, you we're now we're learning. I'm in the South, so we're learning Leonard Skinner, and Molly Hatchet, we're mm-hmm. learning Marshall Tucker, and the Southern rock. You know, playlist if you want to call it that. At some point, one of the I think the drummer, uh, the drummer I played with was a guy named Lee Moore. I grew up with. He was hipping me to Yes and Rush. So then it was the prog rock ascension. Yes, <laughs> everybody goes through. Yep. And now, oh my God, this guy Chris Squire, huh? he's incredible. And these these songs are not in four. Or they're you know there's a they're they're modulating the weirdest places and oh, that's so cool and Rush and so there was that minute and um a. I got to see a kid when I was, I think I was 15. 
uh, I got to see this guy play. It was a local, kind of like a local hero musician. His name was Keith Horn. And Keith Horn is now not a local hero. He's like known all over the planet. Uh And he was just a stunning, unbelievable bass player. And, And he's doing stuff with the bass I'd never seen before. He's banging on it and hitting it with his thumb and his fingers. And he played upside down. He didn't just play left-handed. He played the bass, a right-handed bass, strung right-handed. He played it upside down. Yes. And it, to watch this guy playing playing like that, it blew my mind. He was he was playing. They did a show, and he played Roundabout and sang it. He sang it and played it, and I just was – it blew my mind. So he hit me to uh, – I'm talking to him like, how do you do all this stuff, and why are you hitting the bass? And he's like, what's well, called slapping? Mm-hmm. And I like this guy named Stanley Clark and Jocko yes. Pistorius. You should go hear them. So I – you know. Mom, I gotta go to the record store <laughs> and go and look, and listen. That's literally how it happened. Then, then the radio comes on and you hear. I hear Lewis Johnson play Strawberry Leonard Twenty Two or uh, Stomp, uh-huh. and I hear Stomp and I go, "That's that sound, that clicking sound that you know Keith was making on the bass. That that must be that slapping." And Stomp was a huge impact on me too because now I'm like realizing that the bass player can have more of a role in the band in the music. It's not just the guy in the back thump you know like my right. buddy always says thumb the root or get the boot yeah <laughs> here's a guy here's guys who are taking that instrument and having a voice of their own voice with it and so i loved lewis lewis johnson uh-huh. uh blew my mind stanley i just I, this all i listened to for the longest time was stanley clark stanley clark and um jocko had a whole nother voice a whole nother um harmonic melodic makeup that just you know, it opens your mind, stretches your ears, uh-huh. uh, opened me to a whole other, you know, set of musicians, Weather Report and uh, Chick Corea and, and uh, all the the fusion, they called it fusion back then, all the fusion groups that were, you know, popping up Mahavishna and all these, these groups that were, they were, they were like rock stars in their element, in their right. world. And there I went sailing down that road. They were kind of like the Eddie Van Halen of their genre. Absolutely. Even though that genre wasn't a popular genre in the right. sense of like, you know, I guess it was popular everywhere but in the States. Mm-hmm. And it still kind of is. But um, but you're right. They were at the top of their field on their on their instrument. They could just, that was the music that, that carried that carried that uh, their voice for them was, was jazz. It allowed them to, to say what they needed to say. Well, there's one and bass I player I want to ask you about, and that's uh, Larry Graham. Oh my God! Well, why didn't I not stop start with Larry? I think I discovered Larry after Lewis, and Larry is man. He's the man. That is, that's the man, and he still sounds the way he did in the '60s, which blows my mind. Yeah, he's unbelievable. No, Larry, I love Larry. He is the man. To me, I will. I have to, I'll go to my grave still trying to play properly. Play the song called Hair. Mm, yeah, if you could play that. You understand what I'm talking about, but Absolutely. it's um, that's one of my favorite Larry Graham tunes of all time. That and um, "Dear Prudence." Yes, Sly has a version "Dear Prudence" that is just crazy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And they also did a version of um, uh, "I Can't Stand the Rain." Yes, that's another one I used to play with uh, some buddies here in town, and I used to play it like Larry played it, and they'd always look at me like, "What are you? What are you doing?" And, uh, <laughs> Uh, what's the tune? Looking can, at can, you like you're an alien all of a sudden. Yeah, and I'm like, no, no, this is how Larry used to do it. And just slapping, mm-hmm. slapped like, like my life depended on it. Uh, that was um, uh, Love and Happiness. Yes. Uh, 
excellent. Creed does a version of Love and Happiness yeah. where it's just boom, 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 you know, nothing like the original, of course. But that's, right. no, I'm sorry, this is not a Larry Graham podcast. However, I'm but available it could be for the Larry Graham podcast. <laughs> but it could be. The, the thing is, is now when I see you guys, I'm going to be looking at you and going, that guy in his head is spitting blood and thinking that he's Larry Graham. <laughs> So it's a cross between the two. Well, you know, I had an interesting, well, to me it's interesting. It's not going to be interesting to anybody but me, but uh, 2012 Uh when when Davey passed and Donna Summer had passed right before him, Uh just before him. And I was kind of like, what's going on? You know, when Mickey was with the monkeys, Mickey didn't work a lot. So everything kind of was in flux at that moment. Started um, a Carpenter's tribute group. Mm. And then that was like, it was great. I did the media side of it. I set up, I helped them with their EPK. I was, I shot a lot of it and, and edited it and, and then played bass in it. And so uh, the musical director printed out these amazing charts. He found, he found uh, isolated tracks of Joe Osborne uh-huh. playing all these amazing Carpenter songs. And, you know, and I, I, I'll be the first to admit I was not, in, you know, oh, great, it's a Carpenter's gig. I'm, I'm happy to be playing a gig, but. Yeah, this won't be that exciting. Yeah. It's just a job. Holy cow. Once you play and it. I, you play it, you realize that these people were fooling everybody. Uh-huh. They they made it sound simple. They made it sound easy. It's none of the above. Correct. <laughs> it was actually very difficult stuff to play and to play it properly. And, you know, I could have slouched through it like uh, like a bar band and just... I think this is A and this is going to be D and this yeah. is C, whatever. No, but we were we were playing the music as it was recorded. So I had to play it like Joe Osborne and had to really dive into it. And I got to meet Joe and talk to Joe about it um, on, randomly on a Winona gig of all things. Uh-huh. So I started playing off a pick because Joe played those parts off a pick. And I was a horrible, horrible pick. I always played with my fingers. So playing off a pick was just like, that was like growing another arm and playing with it. <laughs> And um, but I di- I dove into Joe and dove into those parts and dove in. I really loved it. I liked it a lot. And along the course of that that time period, when all this was coming together, is about the time Andrew Sandoval reconstituted the Monkees as you know as Nez and Mickey and Peter, uh-huh. and brought in Mickey's band to be the uh, the support. And you know he had he had one one piece of advice for all of us is I want everyone to go back to the music I want you know because everyone everyone does this every artist floats away from how it was done because you're bored right you've done it a thousand times you know if you play uh you know I don't know about you but if you if I play brown eyed woman I don't play it like uh brown eyed girl I don't play it anything like the original anymore it's like you just got so far from it because you just right so and, over and, it. and so many bands professional bands have to bring in people to kind of reteach the, the the actual band that played on the album how to play it again does, because you know you, you you wind up with this completely different arrangement and I don't know about you but when I go and see a band I don't want them to sound exactly like the album but I want them to sound you know like the track with the energy of the track and the sound of the track I always hate it like Dylan you'd, you'd go to listen to something that he would do live and it would sound just so bad and to bring this back to the monkeys world as much as i appreciated some of the shows prior to before you know you guys coming together as the touring band i didn't like the the horns and the synthesizers and stuff 
playing like Last Train to Clarksville or Hey Hey Where the Monkeys like da 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 da. It sounded like it Vegas. Sounded like it, yeah. it didn't sound like the record. I got you, and that's and that's something that does happen. It happens to every band at some point. You've just done it a thousand times, and you're like, you know what? Tonight, let's add horns. Yeah. Tonight, let's let's do this. Let's just do something different. And mm-hmm. you, that's a it's something we do, and it's something we do selfishly. And sometimes we need to do it for a minute. Sometimes mm-hmm. we just have to just do something. We have to go left instead of right. Sometimes, so you you can come back to right and it's fresh again. And mm-hmm. that's what I always tell myself, at least. And it, Absolutely, and that was kind of Andrew's um, Andrew's request was, can we go back to the music? Let's, and then he dug out multi tracks, and I got uh, isolated bass tracks. I got to hear the you know the actual bass track, and mm-hmm. he'd go, "Is there something special you want, John?" I go, "Yeah, I'd love to have the bass in the left, and the drums and guitar in the right, and you know, not much on the vocals." He go, "Okay." And then all of a sudden, an MP3 would show up, and I'm like, holy cow, that's incredible. I get to actually hear <laughs> what it's supposed to sound like. And having been in that Joe Osborne appreciation and mindset from the other gig I was doing, I kind of, it, it all just started clicking. It's like it was meant to be, you know, like, okay, this makes sense now. And I've kind of already been, this tone is something I've already been engrossed in as of late in the last year. And the style, I've already been kind of, this has been my mindset. So it, it was great. It was a great ascension going back to those tunes. Because even with Mickey, up to that point, I just kind of played it like, like you know, I got a, a Wayne Avers had sent me a DVD, and I had learned Jerry's parts from years ago, which mm-hmm. were like what I talked about. We'd all grown away from the music, right? And I came into it from that, not from the original stuff, from but from where it had already been kind of moving away. And that's where I, that's actually frankly where I learned the tunes from, because. That was a safe thing to do is to learn a live show. Right, because that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. You don't want to come in going, hey, I learned the record, and you're not, that's not what, no no one's playing the record. Yeah. So Andrew had kind of given us that as a doctrine to work with, and, and, um, and we did. And holy cow, ever since then, that's been more of the mindset, and I love it. It's, and it, uh, it sounds better than it ever did. It, it, it sounds pure and it sounds right. I personally, as a Monkees fan, thank you and Andrew and everybody for what you guys are bringing to the table night after night after night you you cannot beat it i'd like to go back to like what were your thoughts like we talked about how you your memories of the monkeys were the tv show exactly then there's this whole other side of things like the music what were the first (laughs) monkey bits that you were where i (laughs) yeah this is the part where i uh i wasn't a huge monkeys fan i Mm -hmm. think I did love Clarksville. Right. Um, I did love Pleasant Valley Sunday. To this day, that's my favorite tune to play. When we hit Pleasant Valley Sunday, um, Rich and I lock into this thing and Wayne. Yeah, yes, and you it do. Just, I'm loving that. <laughs> <laughs>
love that because the song is great and the bass part's great and the, all the parts are great. That song is is a treasure, and um, when we play it, it's it's wonderful. But I wasn't a huge Monkees fan. I mean, I kind of <sighs> over the years, I I mean, I, I've done it. I've done so many crazy things. I was a metal guy in Los Angeles, you know, long haired right, right. shred metal bass player, and and uh, and then I was jazz funk R and B guy for for years and. I think I just missed that whole era. I just it was I mean, a, it was a generational that, thing. Exactly. I have friends that say the same thing. That were um, I have a buddy that's a um, a wonderful bass player, and he was like, I appreciate the Stones now yes. more than ever. Like he goes, when I was young, I liked the songs. Yeah, it's really cool. That's all right. Yeah, whatever. Next, and now whether it's the age we're at or the the path we've been on, now he goes, I love Bill Wyman. Uh-huh. I love the Stones. I love, and he's cha- kind of changed the way he plays a little bit. He's more like, he's more like Wyman now, and I feel that way about the Monkees era of music. I feel like yeah. it's something that wasn't cool to me when I was younger, and then I missed it all through my twenties and thirties, and now it's coming back to where I have to play it, and I've got an appreciation for it, and I love to play it. And now I dig Carol Kay and uh, yes. uh, Joe Osborne. And, uh-huh. And Chip Douglas was just a phenomenal bass player. And mm-hmm. he played the coolest, just really cool stuff. And I think what really I need to say is that I'm at a point in my life now where I'm ready for that music. Yeah. I wasn't ready for it. I was, you know, young and full of calm. That expression is I was just ready <laughs> to rock. You know, <laughs> I want to get on stage and, like you said, blow fire, you know, breathe fire and spit blood and yep. smash my bass. And now I'm in a place in my life where this music now sings to me. It, it, I, I hear it and it, it means something to me now. It really does. Like if you know, twenty years ago, if you said I would have been in a Carpenter's tribute band, I would have like laughed my way, mm-hmm. you know, out of the room. And now I I love that gig. When right. I go do that gig now, really, you know, we're, it's also that gig's full of our, my old friends from the Donna Summer days and and new friends, and it's it means so much more to me now. Whereas mm-hmm. twenty years ago, I've been in, it would have been it wouldn't have meant as much. I would have done it and I would have done an, as good a job as I could have done, but it wouldn't have meant anything emotionally to me. Now the monkeys music. And the monkeys of that era of music, I'm ready. I'm in a place in my life where I'm ready for it, and it means a lot more to me now. Excellent. Um, and I want to apologize to our listeners because this is not the bass players podcast, but I'm going to ask you this one question. <laughs> like, you know, you you listen to stuff like Bill Wyman and the bass players from the '60s. If you listen to those first three Kiss albums, you can hear the walking bass in stuff that Gene does. You know what I'm saying? I love like Detroit Rock City. Yes, I mean, the, yes. This day, I can't play that with a pick. No. I can't do that lick. That guy, you know, here's everybody mocks Gene mercilessly. Well, guess what? I can't play that thing. I've learned I've learned how to play all kinds of crazy stuff. I still to this day can't play that lick and make it sound like he made it. Gene is, is just great. as deadly a bass player as any other bass player, but he he acts he's kind of like rock and roll's clown in a way. Like yeah. I'll sell you this, but I'm still a great <laughs> bass player. We're so, uh, you know, we're so fascinated with his life, uh, his personal life, and his business life. Everyone forgets that, you know, that was him, the bass player. That was him, the musician, the writer, the right. singer. You know, you just, you, you never, everything else overshadows that, I guess, is what, is what I'm trying to say. Well, we're going to have to have you on our sister show, which pays for the Zilch Monkeys podcast, The Podkist, the longest running Kiss <laughs> podcast in existence. I'll go back and I'll relearn, um, sure, know something, I'll play it. All I'll right, so I'm going, I'm going to have right. you come on that show sometime. <laughs> 
Okay. I would love it. That'd be fun. All right. We will do that when you guys are on a break. It's fantastic. So Let's now see. we're going to talk about the monkeys. For any all the monkeys fans that aren't Kiss fans, sorry. Yeah. Here we go. So Come on. Bring them on. <laughs> and I also imagine with the songs that you mentioned that you loved of the monkeys uh, early on, you probably are also a guy who really loves Day Tripper and Paperback Writer, oh, too, yeah. right? Well, the I'm, same thing I said about the monkeys, uh, me being in a place in my life now uh-huh. where that it means something to me. The same for the Beatles. It's like that whole era now means something to me. And Day Tripper, what a cool line. What a cool bass line, guitar line. I mean, all that is wonderful. And now I appreciate all of that stuff. <laughs> just amazing. And Paul McCartney, my God, just it's insane the stuff he's able to do and sing on top of it. That's crazy. God. Yeah. All right. Monkey talk. Now I got one more thing. For everybody who hasn't done it yet, go hear ISO tracks are leaking out all over the place. Yes. Of Paul and Ringo. And, you know, like people are grabbing these 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 tracks and leaking them. And mm-hmm. holy cow, you can go back and, and hear these songs and hear their parts, hear Paul's parts, hear you know Ringo and... Or hear them in the background, a little bit of tape bleed or room room bleed, mm-hmm. and it's just like I have. It's, it's exciting. It makes you excited all again, all over again. Exactly. Songs. And I'm you sorry, know, sorry, back. I hijacked your podcast. No, no. In the same sense, we are lucky as monkeys fans to actually have what Andrew Sandoval has done, and document all the various permutations and different tracks and tracks without the vocals and outtakes it's just amazing what he's been able to do with the monkeys catalog so kudos to him we said in our first episode of zilch that if you're lucky enough to have someone like andrew sandoval or rhino get a hold of your favorite band you'll be a happy fan (laughs) because they've just done some amazing stuff like when you needed to to hear more bass and the drums and stuff on one channel and all that he, that's how he was able to do that. He's been the man. Yeah, he always has, and it's and I've never, I've never experienced that in any other group I've ever worked with. Uh-huh. I've never seen where somebody became kind of like a self-appointed archivist. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. It's really mind blowing. And the and the guy's brilliant anyway. He's he's truly brilliant, and um, he's such a music fan. That's, that makes it even cooler. It's not that he's just a fan of the monkey. He's a music fan in general. Yeah, he's very well-rounded in his love of 60s pop. Absolutely. He's a musician, amazing. and he's an engineer. That brings a whole other perspective to... It's not just he's collecting you know, signed autographs. I mean, he, the guy right. could tell you what studio they're in. He can tell uh-huh. you the processes that where they went through to get those recordings, who was on the recordings. And um, he's... He, it's. That's a really cool thing that Andrew <laughs> exists in this world, in the monkeys world. It's pretty remarkable. Now, now, what is he like to work with as a tour manager? Because he's kind of the the monkeys manager everything. at this point. He does everything. The guy runs the. I mean, he sits in the back of the house running the video, mm-hmm. and he puts those videos together himself, and uh, from clips from Rhino, from stuff that he's got his own personal collection. Um, of stills and and uh, archival stuff. He's and so he's he's not only tour managing and managing and, and getting shows booked and doing all of that and you know and putting the suit on and getting you know getting the check he's also running the the video i mean the guy is he's he's a one man show it's pretty incredible absolutely and he's a great he's a great great soul i'm sure you've met him and talked to him he's really cool he's really understated and really you know he's a very cool dude very chill um, but he's excited about music and he loves to see the show 
this 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 show is his baby. So every night when we go on and it goes great and everything's rolling, I mean that guy's just as happy as he can be. Yeah, and uh, who can blame him? Look what he did. You know, it's it's remarkable. Well, I keep using that word, but I've never experienced somebody like Andrew who who's produced re-releases, who's done liner notes, and then said, you know what? I think I'll do. I think I'll get these guys back out on the road. I mean, come on. When has that ever happened? I mean, right. there needs to be a movie on this guy. It's it's pretty incredible, and that show exists. I mean, obviously, you know, Mickey can perform and Peter can perform. Nez, all, everyone can do what they do, and but somebody put it together. Somebody assembled yeah. it. Somebody got everyone in a room, and somebody said, "Let's do this." And I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of this for you. I'm gonna make that call. Or I'm gonna book that show. I'm gonna. That's Andrew. That that thing exists night after night because of him. Right, and the same goes for both John Hughes and him and the folks at Rhino to to get good times out. Absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely. amazing. And those got behind the moments. And now you can see when a label and an, and an artist come together, this is what happens. Because otherwise, you know, bands, older bands do records all the time, they come and go. You don't right. even know that they, they've been released, you don't know when they disappear. And this is... This is, but this has been incredible to watch this record get released, do what it does, see these shows come out of nowhere, and um, to see Rhino get behind them, and see how the machine really should work, and it's mm-hmm. been it's fantastic. There's a good time coming on. Now, do you have any favorite tracks on Good Times? I really like uh, Good Time. Mm-hmm. Good Times. It's a good time coming up. That's so far as my favorite. I love Sonically. I'm told I had a good time. Oh, me um, too. That song, it sounds so good. And I love playing that tune. And the descending bass line. Mm-hmm. He's going, you know, the second half of the verses. Uh, it's really cool. You know, it, it's that's one of my favorite songs, Sonically. I just like the... From an, I'm an engineer, and, and when, when I'm geeking out on the sound of the toms and the compression on the drums uh-huh. and the live room sound, and I geek out on those things. But um, Good Times is my favorite track. And the funny thing is I heard it, the first time I ever heard it, there's a there's a spiel, a video spiel, that's the correct terminology. Uh-huh. Um, we come back on after our, our, our break. We take an intermission in the show, and Andrew plays a, he plays a video interview of the guys in the studio. Uh-huh. And... That's the first time I heard that track. It was actually it plays in the background. I was like, "What is that? It's swinging stuff, you know." And um, I finally got to hear that track. I'm like, "That, that's the jam." <laughs> Absolutely. You know who would have? That's the old track. Yeah, it is. Do you know who would have killed with that? Elvis dude. Presley. Yeah, dude. That it kind of has that vibe to it. It does. You know, All you know, starting on a county line. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you could just hear it. You know. It's a good time coming on, man. Yeah. <laughs> You can hear that? You can hear all those Memphis dudes on it. And, yes. Oh, I mean, that would. You're right. That would have been great. But I, I just, I think it's cool. Um, I think it's really cool that they pulled something out of of a closet. You know, mm-hmm. if I, if I can use those words, they just pulled it out of out of a box somewhere, and made that track come alive like that. And it's like, it's like it never 
wasn't there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's like that track should have always been a monkey song. It was. Absolutely. It's just one of those things that not everything got released. Well, and, I don't uh, know how much power cool. you have in uh, deciding any of the set, but please beg for me that you guys <laughs> do. Uh, I was there, and I'm told I had a good time in Branson because I'm coming. I'm hooking up with you guys, and I, I want to hear that song live that night. We do our full set when we do our um, like when we do casinos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, They'll do the casinos. Don't let us take a take a break. Casinos want you on and off. That's right. just how it works. So we don't do our we don't do our little uh, our intermission. And we typically drop a few songs. And sadly, that's the one we drop when we do the full show with the intermission. That's a great tune to play. It's a lot of fun. And you know, it, it has it has a lot of Beatlesms in it in a sense because that's it's good. it's got the same sexy swagger as Come Together. Yeah. Think about it. That's. That's kind of why it's so cool. It has that vibe. That's yeah. the, the underlying vibe, except not in kind of a the dark, spooky way, but more yeah. in the we're all jamming, mm-hmm. we're chunking these eight notes. Maybe away. you've had a couple drinks in you, you know. Uh, yeah. The stories are coming out, <laughs> you know. Drinks and other other strange vices. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, you were there and you were told you had a good time because you couldn't remember it. <laughs> you know, his tales always end up with uh, eh, I was told I had a good time, so it's great that. He turned that into a song. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's kind of like if Gene Simmons could find a producer to work with him and create a song called You're a Powerful and Attractive Man. (laughs) (laughs) Then all the pieces would come together. Exactly, exactly. But that song has that come together swagger, and it's also got a bit of Paul McCartney scatting, like like in the uh, song Beep Bop that Paul McCartney did. It sounds like that, but it also has like a Lennon kind of a vibe to it, so... Just kudos all around on that, and you guys deliver it quite well. Job. Well, we we're not on the track, obviously. We just no, no. But you guys so. make it chug oh, on good. on thank, stage. Thank you. We did it for the first time in New York. Yes, um, with Adam Schlesinger. Adam came out and played piano. We I think we learned it like the day before. It was like one of those like, guess what? Adam's coming, and we got to do this tune. So we knocked it out in sound check. Just in fr- and f- as a matter of fact, we knocked it out in front of the sound check. Uh, VIP people like they oh got to God. watch us actually learning the song. It was a blast playing with Adam. He was very, very cool and very good guy. Mm-hmm. But he did a phenomenal job with that record. That my hat goes off to that cat. Same here. I agree one hundred percent. Could you introduce uh, you guys playing that song with Adam Schlesinger? We're going to play that right now. This is "I'm Told I Had a Good Time" produced by Adam Schlesinger, live in New York. That's Some, right, live in New York. All you guys monkeying around. Here we go. And it was produced by one of the most incredible musician, artists, singer, producers I've ever worked with, Mr. Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne. He's here tonight, and he's, he's coming on. Adam, come on here. And we're going to do a song, which is uh, the last song in the, uh, in the album. It's called, Adam and I wrote it together, and it's called, I Was There, and I'm Told I Had a Good Time. Finally got the line into a song, didn't you?
you know, you're, you're touring with some excellent musicians, and I'd like to go through, and like we did with Rich Dart and Coco and Christian and Cersei, when we all talked about the various different people in the band, I'm going to mention a name, and I want you to tell me something about them. What do Monkeys fans not know, or maybe just one thing that you think of when you think about that person? So, first up... Absolutely far away. The amazing Wayne Avers. Holy cow. Surf guitar phenomenon. Wayne uh-huh. Avers will put you back in time. This is what we do when we're not with the monkeys. We play shows together, instrumental shows, and Wayne evokes the entire 60s, 50s, 60s surf guitar sound and tone. And we go out and we play all that kind of music. And um, you would never know it. I guess you would. You know, sometimes you hear Wayne play, he'll yeah. evoke some of that in no time. He has a solo spot in there. And you'll, you'll hear a little piece of it. But Wayne will uh, will blow your mind with this like this instrumental guitar playing, mm-hmm. and you just never you never unless you play with Wayne or you're in Nashville you don't ever hear him get to do that sort of stuff. And he's he's amazing. He owns that stuff. It's really remarkable. And I love playing with him, uh, doing that kind of music.
And he's been with the monkeys longer than uh, some people he, that were actually in the monkeys were. Absolutely, in the band, he's so. actually. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He's been in the he's been in the monkeys collectively more than most of the monkeys. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He's definitely been there more than like like Peter has, and then you know, there's, and but the, Wayne was playing with Davy, so Wayne has been there forever, and uh, and he is also. This is something not everyone knows, but he's he's Mickey's right hand man. Yes. Mickey, uh, on his solo gigs, Wayne uh, is the guy who books the flights. He's the tour manager, the stage manager. He's the the minister. He's the guy you you know you're the psychologist. He's the guy you confess your sins to. He's he's everything. <laughs> and uh, he takes care of Mickey on autograph shows. When Mickey goes and sits in with other groups, he's he goes along as a musical director, uh-huh. and he'll um he'll coach the other bands or the players in the bands, and um that's been that turned into a full time job for him. Well, he's yeah, definitely he's, earned that. It's, he's. I've always said it, bef- you know, before, and I'll say it again: is that the monkey show, when it's being put together and when it's being built, the monkeys are really Andrew and Wayne. Mm-hmm. You no, know, and I'm not taking away from from Mickey and Peter. No, obviously no. they're you know, and or Nesmith, but those are the two guys who are the creative and also the productive production side of the tour, is Wayne and Andrew. Well, the monkeys proper. All, all three of the remaining ones, including Davey, they would always tell you that the monkeys were more than the four guys. Whether it was when the TV show was being produced, it was a lot of people on that set that were making that show happen. And the same when they were touring back in the 60s. And the same can be said for right now. You know, the monkeys aren't just those two guys, or three guys, depending on how it works out. It's It, it takes a village. You know, there's that uh, saying it takes a village to, to raise a kid. Well, it, it takes a village to keep a show on the road and to make it all come together. You always have a crew. You know, the crew's there. <laughs> we always complain. You know, we, always, we always joke about how we show up at Soundcheck. And, you know, we show up at the crack of 3 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My guitar cord is, is wound counterclockwise versus <laughs> clockwise. And I can't have this. You know, Austin, get over here, Austin, and fix yeah. this immediately. You know, I need you know it's good <laughs> that you mention Austin. Austin Becker and Austin's been there since like eight thirty in the morning. Yeah, uh, everything. Austin's job is a stage manager. He's yeah. a stage manager, uh, so he's in charge of everything that's going on on stage. He sets up the drums and the guitars, and he winds the cables, and he tests the lines, and he's his whole world is the stage. And then during the show, if you think that's enough work for one person to set up that entire stage, then during the show, he's handing Wayne and Peter guitars, banjos. Uh-huh. Um, and in between songs, he's tuning the yes. other instruments he's grabbed. Like if Wayne's playing his Strat, he'll grab the 12 string and tune the 12 string. Uh-huh. Hand Wayne the 12 string. Now he's got the Strat. He's tuning the Strat. And then Peter needs his banjo tweaked. Then he needs the acoustic. And so Austin never stops. And then, well, finally the show's over. He can quit, right? No. no. Somebody's got to break it all back down. Yeah. And get and it so to the next place. we're hotel complaining that the Double Tree hasn't given us our chocolate chip cookies, Austin is still pushing cases into a truck. Uh-huh. So, holy cow, the crew, I mean, that's just Austin. There's, you know, Tim, Sabrina, uh, Chip, and uh, we had a video guy for a while, but now Andrew's taken back over that, that position for the uh-huh. time being. But everyone is, they're doing the job of two or three people. And then you have the local hands who work for the theater or the production company. Uh-huh. And they do a lot of muscle, like, you know, hey, I need you to put this drum set kind of together, but I'm going to come and finish it. I need you to roll these amps out. And you've got 20 people in there scurrying around before we even, before we even arrive to town. Mm-hmm. You, you get my point. There's a, yeah. there's a small army making that show happen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I saw that you posted a couple pics of the gang, basically. 
Absolutely. And Are you talking about the uh, the group, the entire group shot? Or yes. Like, yes. Uh, we finally <laughs> we had been putting that off and putting it off because you never get us all in the same room not working at the same time. Believe me, usually I'm not in any of the photographs, but this was one time I had my tripod out. It was a second to last show, I think. Yeah, we had to fly to Salt Lake City, and it was like, this is it. And I set it up, and we and Mickey got everybody together. And the crew stopped what they were doing at the end of the night, walked over, and you can see in the face of some of the guys, are like, you can see they had more important things to do. Yeah, they're like, come on, let's get this over with. Come on. <laughs> a couple of the guys have that look, but because they were trying to do a million things and leave themselves. Mm-hmm. But we snapped a couple of stills and got uh, and got the whole gang in there. And that was, we missed Chris, our, our merch guy. Mm-hmm. Chris was out front selling merchandise. So Chris didn't make it in the photo, sadly, but um, uh, but that was that was a great group picture, and and uh, that's the, our little army that rolls around the country, you know, bringing bringing the magic to the people. I got such a kick out of seeing Austin in the poncho, the first show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and you know what? Mickey's never noticed it. Really? Which is, <laughs> you know, Mickey's in the show. He's doing his thing, mm-hmm. and, and Austin would come out in the poncho. We're all in the background laughing, and you know, Mickey's like, "Thanks, Austin." You know, <laughs> just pays no attention to it whatsoever. No, he's, just, he's got. He's doing a show. He's you know, is yeah. So when Austin came out that first time, we were all we were all doubled over. But the poncho works on him, man. It works on him totally. Oh, he he's rocking it. Someone said, "Does uh, he come with the poncho?" Because they wanted to buy one then. So he's <laughs> he's he's got some groupies out there. He may not know, but there are a couple of ladies online. Oh, I'm gonna let him know for sure. Now we're not gonna, you know, and we're not gonna see him again until September. He's gonna go out. He has another job. He works oh. for the Blues Brothers. Well, so he's got a bunch of Blues Brothers dates that he was fantastic. committed to. So we'll we'll have him back in uh, when we start in September. But I'll I'll be sure to let him know he's got fans. Yeah. That's awesome. I remember I think it was John Hughes posted that picture. Andrew sent it to John Hughes and I think John Hughes posted it online and one of the ladies said, "If I buy that, does he come with it?" cuz I want it. <laughs> great. That's awesome. <laughs> Crack me up. I love that. He'll love that, man. Austin is a is a great cat and actually we got Austin from his brother Mm-hmm. Uh, his brother Ryan was working with us, mm. and Ryan needed an extra hand. We needed uh, two guys, and Ryan said, "You know, my brother does this." And all of a sudden, we had these these brothers that were working for us. And then Ryan, the monkey went on brothers, to, monkey exactly the Becker brothers. <laughs> um, Ryan had another gig with, I believe, it was the B fifty twos. Oh wow! That, that that took him away for a while. So yeah, Austin they were has been here ever since. Yeah, they 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 were playing out in. Uh, Oregon okay. last night, or two nights ago, yeah, to be 52s A great band, man. Yeah. Again, great show. Excellent. Right. Well, <laughs> we're doing the VIP in Branson, so... Oh, uh, awesome. So uh, definitely look forward to shaking your hand and giving you eyes big Dude, high we'll fives do, and hugs. We'll, so. I'll play extra better at soundcheck. How about you better. That? <laughs> One of the really cool moments that you guys are doing is the song Higher and Higher. Oh, yeah. just That's Peter's... Uh, we needed something that we didn't need. We needed a song, and we wanted to feature one of the guys. So Mickey does Johnny Be Good, and Peter mm-hmm. did Higher and Higher. And that's something from I actually saw that on I think on YouTube. There's that's from an yeah. older show. Yep, that's a cool track. The thing I love about it is I don't know if you were much into Cheap Trick, but they always did that one song, uh, "Ain't That a Shame," the old uh, oh, Fats yeah, yeah. Domino's classic. And at one point in that song, they all take a little solo as the song's ramping up you hear like the drummer do a riff then the bass player does a riff then the guitarist and then the other guitarist they all do this thing where they keep going around and around and around and they do it like three or four times and i love in this version of higher and higher 
he'll come over and kind of introduce you guys and he lets you and Rich and you guys kind of take over and do your thing. You're, that's a really neat highlight of the show for you. Oh, cool, thanks. We have a blast doing that, and um, it's over before it, you know it starts. It's so quick. It just you know if you blink, you'll miss it. But it's a chance for us to just be silly for a minute and have fun. And it's, it's cool because fun. you guys aren't doing the same exact thing night after night. I've watched enough, no. uh, followed it enough <laughs> probably, on YouTube that you guys are. They would mixing probably it up. rather us do the same thing, but <laughs> we take every now and then we take a chance and do something completely off the wall that doesn't always work. But that's just music. It's just that that's how music is. You know, you go for it sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't always land but right. we have fun doing it we just try to have a good time but like i noticed like when you do your thing rich will kind of try to cop it yeah no i wish we had like more time to develop something together like that but you know we have um two eight eight um eight beat measures and that's it yeah it's over well so, uh, next time you're at cool. cheddar's you know cheddar's or chuck e cheese's or uh what's the other place you guys cracker barrel next time you guys are at cracker barrel <laughs> You know, sit down and figure it out. And some guy will say, "Hey, quit banging on the table with the fork." You know, so. Oh my God, I know we um we never talk about it. We just it's just one of those things where we just we get a moment just to be us and, mm-hmm. and be silly. Mister George Michael Bones, for all the pleasures he's given you through the years. and discovered that I had imported Motown to the hills of Appalachia, Blue Ridge Mountains. Um, strange jumps, uh, strange putting things together.
and I and noticed the, that Rich does the same thing with Mickey when they're doing the Porpoise song. Yeah, they they trade fours. It's really cool. It's it's cool how they play off each other. Mm-hmm. It's really neat. That's that's actually one of my other favorite tunes. I love to play in the show because it's just a big, you know, Pink Floydish moment in the show, and it is really epic sounding. And I love that tune. Well, like, what are your top three favorite tracks to play live? The, the monkey songs that you guys play. Definitely, definitely, Porpoise song is. That's one of the moments where I feel like bass is. is it has a nice voice in that song, mm-hmm. and I love very haunting. It's haunting, and it's just a cool lineup. The bass on that is played by Doug Lubin. The way he plays it, it's one of those things where Andrew gave me a track that was mm-hmm. broken down, and I got to really hear the bass part, and I really fell in love with it the first time I heard it. So it means a little something to me. I don't know why. You know, the, lyrically, I don't. It doesn't. It's not pulling me in. Mm-hmm. But it's the way the song is laid out harmonically. I'm, I was always drawn to that tune for the first time I heard it. Mm-hmm. But I love the tone of the bass, and I love the lines that are going on there. And uh, I try to be honest to the, the original version. I love that song. I love especially the outro, um, where it kicks it off that big giant, you know, orchestral sounding, you know, part. The, the outro of the song mm-hmm. is, is is amazing. And Wayne's playing all the slide guitar, and Mickey and and uh, and Rich do their have their big drum moments. That's that to me is like musically one of the higher light, big highlights of the show.
And then, of course, like I said, I always feel like I'm coming home when we play Pleasant Valley Sunday. And Wayne would tease me, you know, that's just because it's the last song. And I always go, no, no, I, I, do, I like that song. Not because it's the last song, because uh, I love Pleasant Valley Sunday. And it's, uh, it's, a cool bass, it's a cool bass song to play. Uh-huh. Uh, and I have to say, you know, I still like to play Clarksville. You know, it's, uh, that's a neat little tune to play. Uh, going down is a lot of fun. Oh my god! For you, it's got to be a blast. A lot of walking and uh, and I put the pick down for a minute, and it's mm. always like, oh yeah, I forgot I know how to play with my fingers. I always have that, <laughs> always have that half a second start at the top going, oh crap, I play with my fingers on this song. You know? I haven't done it all night, but here we go. Mm. And then, <laughs> it's always fine after like the second bar. It's the first two bars. My fingers are remembering how to play you know, <laughs> without the pick. And Mickey really hams it up in that track. I love my favorite part of that song is when he hands the mic in the second verse yes. to some random. Well, he always looks for somebody who's singing along because yeah. obviously you don't want to hand that song off. And then they just go boo 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 and not oh, know what he he he's, he's, he's got to be looking for somebody who knows yeah, what they're doing. He's looking, and enough yeah. people, enough fans know that he's looking for that, so they'll be mouthing along. So then he sees somebody who's who seems to be keeping up with them, and he'll stick the mic down, and that's that to me is. You know, I love when the when the audience participates mm-hmm. in the song. I always have fun with that. I think that's cool because there's a, a direct interaction with the artist and the audience at that point. So I always love that part of the song. I love playing that tune. It's a fun tune to play. John, do you guys get a kick out of people wearing pink party hats? Yes, and I want to encourage more people to wear party hats and be silly in that song. We need it. We want it. And give it to us. Okay. It is so cool. I know that uh, our co-hosts, Sarah and Melanie, were wearing them in Oklahoma, and Mickey started laughing when Absolutely. he saw we them. I love to see that. There's always, like a, there's always a group. There's always like three or a, four a people. little pack of people all like in their party gear, and everyone around them's looking kind of frumpy. <laughs> They're like, what's this all about? Yeah, you haven't got the album yet. <laughs> exactly exactly no no please encourage all fans to uh make that make that moment of the show a moment in the show and they can even bring chips dips and root beer i love you know bring, bring red bull red bull and peanut m&ms and <laughs> yeah i always got a kick out of mickey saying that if you guys keep playing no time faster he's going to cut the red bull in the writer oh my god i hope not that's that's what gets us through. Yeah. Man, shot getting ready at the beginning of the night. That's what gets us going. That would be bad to lose it. Yeah, no time since it tends to kind of like get going. Yeah. Well, it cooks. It, that song really cooks. And like you said, Wayne Avery's doing that great surf guitar bit in there. That that just kicks so much ass. It's fantastic. A little glimpse of the other side of him that's yeah. really cool. So speaking of really cool, we've got on drums the man himself, Rich huh. Dart. Another amazing... Uh, font of knowledge regarding any any and all things monkey. He's he's like Andrew in that sense where he's seen he knows the show he knows the uh, you know you always go oh, what is it what are the lyrics there and then Rich is the one guy in the band that just spits them out. You know? Well, you and always like, see him like if you're watching him like go on YouTube, folks, watch the drummer sing. Yeah, he sings through the whole night. He knows the entire show. It's mm-hmm. really remarkable because I don't honestly I don't think about the lyric content on all the songs that that aren't that weren't like radio songs I heard my entire life. Right. Rich knows them all. He um You could a put a mic fan. in his face and he could do the, the 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 show. Only because he he like I dreads the uh the infamous vocal warm ups before the show will he not sing. <laughs> 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 and we'll both you know, we'll take that to our graves. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, no, he's a he's he knows all that stuff. Um, he's he knows the shows really well. He knows a lot of the fans. He's um, this is a great gig for him. This is something he's dreamed of doing his whole life, and he's he achieved it. It's pretty cool. And you know, it's great because you'll be seeing him, and you can tell when he's having a really good time. He almost like looks like Ringo. You know how when Ringo was in the pocket. <laughs> you can just see that same kind of swing that he's got going, you know. That oh, same, totally. Yeah. Totally. He loves playing that show, and we all love it, but Rich really, it's like he's he's living the dream, and he knows it. Like, he's he's cognizant of it. Not that he's cocky about it, but he's cognizant right. that, wow, I'm getting to do this. I'm actually I'm actually playing with these guys. And it's cool to see that, and it, 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 it you know, it's always great to be around him because of that. And Andrew Sandoval said on our show that uh, Mickey Dolenz found two great talents in his life. One was Jimi Hendrix, and the other was Rich Dart. So, <laughs> Well, I believe it. That's a great thing to say. Yeah. And then the big man on keys, the amazing Dave Alexander. Alexander. Exactly. David is a, uh, he's a freak of nature. The guy can literally recite any Beatles lyric, any, he can play any song on any instrument. Mm-hmm. He could play the bass parts on bass. He could play all the keys, guitars. He talk, you know, he'll tell you about the harmonies. It's amazing. He um he he absorbed all of that stuff, and he's mm-hmm. also a huge Monkey fan himself. And mm-hmm. so, that whole era of music, Dave owns it. It's it's really remarkable to be around him when he's he's just he'll spit out any Beatles tune you name. He'll just cough it out. He'll go, oh, I kind of know it, and then he'll just perform it all perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, we look forward to having him on the show very soon as well. So look oh, forward great. to and that. And here's a guy who's been around forever in that yeah. camp, mm-hmm. uh, starting with Davies. So the stories he has are just wonderful. Well, he is a uh, triple threat, as they say. He can sing, play the piano, and an emergency move it. <laughs> yes, he yes, is. That's an old Groucho man. Marx joke. So <laughs> thank you, Groucho. Thank you, Groucho. But that's quite accurate. Dave's a very, very powerful man, large, powerful man. Yeah, people don't realize how tall he is. I know that's what's so funny is you see photos of, of us standing together, and I look like his son when I'm standing next to him, like you know, just come up to his chin. No, he's a he's a tall cat, really mm-hmm. tall. Speaking of sons, does Rich still get mistaken for Peter Tork's kid? Or somebody said that the other day. Somebody told me, and I didn't tell this to Rich. So if Rich hears this on the show, he's gonna start laughing and call me up. Somebody, a total. Like one of my musician friends, total stranger, said, "Your drummer looks more like Peter Tork than Peter Tork does." <laughs> they meant he meant young Peter Tork, like yes. Peter Tork from the show. Yeah, your drummer looks like Peter Tork more than Peter Tork does. <laughs> well, it, it <laughs> happens. Like, yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? <laughs> and then we have the loveliness herself, the one, the only, Gemma Coco Dolenz. Dry Coco. What can you She's tell us about her? Well, she is um, she's a lovely, spiritual, and intelligent, scientific, you know, that she loves to tell people, I'm a scientist, and she's very, uh, very curious about things, how things work, and how she loves to, to pick your brain, and how does this happen, and how does this occur, what do you do as an engineer, what are you doing, uh, um, I work in, in film and television as a sound engineer and, you mm-hmm. know, and tell me about what you do what do you what is a what do you when you're doing this voiceover or you're doing this or she's always curious about things that she wants to know and she's she's like a like her brother is like that a little too Mickey's yeah. a study of things uh coco very much so is that way and she loves fans she loves to talk to fans and interact with them and get to know them and uh i always thought that was a really cool thing about coco is that you know so many people 
you know, sometimes myself, I do my show, put the guitar in a case, get in the bus, and I'm in, or, or get it to the, to the hotel, and you know, call home, and that's it. Off to bed. Don't think twice about it. Coco makes sure she goes out front and says hi to people, and she remembers why we're there. And wow. I think that's something amazing about her. Really cool, and, and something that sometimes we shouldn't take for granted, but we do. And Coco never really does. She's always looking to say hi to fans and reaching out and saying thank you. And that's pretty cool. Very and sweet she sings woman. her ass off. Come on. Oh, my God. Pretty remarkable. Agreed 100%. Shout out for Coco as well. She's got – you need to talk to her personally about the dates, but she has some stuff coming up in in the Los Angeles area. I think she has a show on the 31st, and I'm missing it because I'm leaving that day. Oh. And I think she has something the first week of August. So she's got some shows where she's finally going out and singing on her own. Wow. Uh, doing her own, her own music of her own band, which that's something I've been looking forward to her doing for a while. So, Coco, along with Andrew Sandoval and many people like Chris Montez and John Wicks in the records, the Hollies' Terry Sylvester, Dennis Stefano of the Buckinghams, and Ron Dante, the voice of the Archies, are doing a show at McCabe's at 3101 Pico Boulevard, Santa Monica, California, Sunday, July 31st, 2016, at 8 o'clock. If you can, be there. Check them out. It's a great way to hear some great music. And, and, of course, it's a fundraiser and a good way to help people and get out there and uh, help Owen Shelley. We will put a link in our show notes. We love you, Coco. And then there's these last two guys uh, that make up part of the onstage touring band. Uh, maybe some of our listeners have heard of them. Peter Tork? <laughs> yeah, that guy. That, yeah, that, that kid. That guy, Peter, is a... Is a pretty amazing banjo player which it's really you know it's funny you always see him up there playing and when i finally first heard him for the first time playing alone that's that he's a pretty mean banjo player mm-hmm. he's not just up there strumming away he's actually playing he's doing the role he's playing he's playing that uh that the hell out of that thing and that's his original banjo that's really the banjo that thing which I can't believe he brings that on the road. That's from the '60s. Wow, I That's did not know band. that. Next time you, um, if you see a photo of Peter on anybody's social, where he's holding it on social media or wherever, look at the banjo and then go back in time, and that's the same one. Amazing. We're, we're going to have to do a two for shot. Absolutely. And uh, he's a, he's a mean banjo player and a sweet cat. And uh, actually, um, without sounding too uh too too guy erotica here he's, he gives great hugs <laughs> Fantastic. best hugger ever well there's he nothing like, wrong with getting a hug there's nothing wrong with getting a hug at all as a matter of fact more hugs and less problems in the world i'm all for that and i know you are too brother well yeah and he actually uh what did he signed some my daughter who's is has my 12 year old has discovered um vinyl Mm-hmm. And he and I just you know I hate to bug those guys about autographs and stuff. I always feel because I work for him, I always feel silly asking him to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of was like, hey Peter, I mean I hate to ask you, would you mind? You know my daughter, and that'd be really cool if you did that. And he wrote her like a cool note on the front, and you know made, something that it just didn't say you know Peter Torque. He wrote he personalized it to her, and I was mm-hmm. like really really touched that he did that it was super cool and then he was like like a kid like did you see what i wrote did you see what i wrote you know? <laughs> that was super cool well he's he's no slouch on the guitar and keys as well no he's not the guy sits around all afternoon playing like bach fugues on yeah, uh on the synth just warm up and that's 
it's just I always get blown away by the the banjo thing because it's such a a unique instrument and it's something that people aren't doing so much anymore. It's right. kind of like an instrument that's kind of on the wayside, and mm-hmm. and when you do hear it, it's uh, especially in Nashville, it's a purely novelty. It's not like somebody's really ripping and shredding on banjo. It's a uh, oh yeah, we got to have a plunky banjo. So yeah. guitar player guy, grab your your fake banjo, which is a guitar strung like a banjo, and yeah, give us a plunky note or two here. And Peter actually plays the thing. Mm-hmm. He actually plays it like it's supposed to be played. And, and I and love how it sounds in "She Makes Me Laugh." It's it's this weird Isn't muted cool? thing. When you first it's hear cool. it, it's a simple part, but it's really cool, and it gives him a voice on that song. It's so it's his, it's him. You know he's there. Oh, absolutely. And it it almost doesn't sound like a banjo until you hear it. You know what I mean? It it, it takes a while to realize what am I hearing, and you go, "My God, that's a banjo." <laughs> that's him. That's that's the great Peter Tork playing that part. It's pretty cool. And you guys kill it live. Oh, hey, thank you. Thank you. Those guys kill it live. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a tune. It sounds like a monkey song. Isn't that cool? It does, and it's great to have an album that sounds like a monkey's album. No, you know, that's the thing that's amazing about it. Uh-huh. And I don't want to cut down any of the work that they did in the 80s or 90s, but this really has a lot. This is almost like a career retrospective, in a sense, documenting all the sounds and various kinds of tones that they had throughout the years you know and no big surprise it's doing well yeah you know that's something i think a lot of artists could learn from because everyone's works we work we all do it i mean every every artist is always working to expand and move forward and move ahead and you know that was me then and you lose touch after a while and here's a record that you put it on now with there are with any of the other records it sounds like a monkey's record and guess what big surprise the fans love it and are buying it and supporting it and we're doing shows and people love it and i think that's great i think it's really cool and it's amazing we're getting reports from everybody like they go into barnes and noble and they're playing the whole album front to back oh that's cool that's good to hear People that are going to the Bare Naked Ladies tour have been reporting that in between bands they play the entire Good Times album. <laughs> now that is that's pretty cool. I didn't even know that myself. That's really cool. I have to tell Andrew that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, no, that's they did a great job. And Adam, you know, Andrew, Adam, uh, all the Rhino people, it, it just everything came together. All mm-hmm. the stars aligned. That's a, such a rare event anymore it's rare that all the forces come together and work on the same page uh-huh. and and even the artists you know sometimes all the forces there and the artist isn't right. everybody showed up everybody did their best their complete best effort it came out wonderful and and look and now it's selling and there you go i mean it's good music will always will always do well uh-huh. will always be a can be artistic and it can be a commodity at the same time and these guys are proving it right now uh-huh. agreed and then there's this one guy, I think his name is Mickey Dolans. Some fans Little may Mickey. Yeah, some some people may remember him. I think he he was in a show called Circus Boy. Oh, and That's the monkeys. That's how we remember him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that little circus boy, little blonde. Mickey, so, man, what a guy, what a gentleman and um what a singer. Come on. I mean Peter used to introduce him as one of the great pop voices of our time and uh-huh. you know, that's he's absolutely right. He's absolutely correct. Um, Mickey still is one of the great pop singers of our time. He's wonderful and such a such a gentleman and great guy. And funny as all get out. 
And and I don't think he takes it all too seriously either. Like some guys, they're just so you know they have an attitude. I don't think Mickey has that attitude. Uh, this is what Mickey will do sometimes when you know there's there's rare moments after show when there's not anybody around and we're all headed back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll put his arm around you and he'll whisper all conspiratorially like he's got some secret to tell you. Go, can you believe we're doing this? <laughs> like you know he just he's like I can't believe we're doing this. This is incredible. And I mean to have that. That perspective, at you know, at the age he is, at the the length of time he's been doing this, is that's unheard of. You know, he's not at all um, bitter or just you know, it's just this isn't business as usual to him. Every night he steps out there, he steps off the stage, going, "Can you believe we just did this? We did a show in front of people, and they liked it, mm-hmm. and we're gonna do it again." You know, no one threw tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, there's always those times when a couple tomatoes might sail at us, but they miss. They were wearing but pink Mickey, party hats instead. Exactly. <laughs> Mickey, uh, he, uh, he, he loves this. He loves what we're doing, and, and uh, he's never taken it for granted, mm-hmm. ever. Not that I've seen. I mean, he, you know, he'll, this is what he tells me and Rich. He'll just go, I can't believe we're doing this. This is incredible. Can you believe we're doing this? And he, no, I can't, Mickey. This is amazing. People are out, and they love it. And, um, that's really cool that he feels that way. I've worked for people in the past that felt the other way, the complete opposite. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, I got to do this again, another one, another show, more fans, you know. And <laughs> well, you know, Mickey, tragedy. Mickey the- and Peter, and you know, they they remember the times when they couldn't get arrested, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We all we all have that. I think some people forget it. Some artists forget it because they're so insulated. Right, they become very insulated into the world. They just figure people are going to always show up, and mm-hmm. then when they don't, you know, some of them go, "Wow, I never knew that." You know, I had to put out a hundred percent or whatever. I I think I'm getting off on the wrong foot here. But well, well, I, no, I kind of like things. tying it into Rick Springfield earlier. We were talking about someone who's managed to take the slings and arrow of the times when nobody wants you yeah. and still stay relevant. Every so many years, you have to keep at it and the audience will find you again. Absolutely. And and guys like Rick are like just like Peter and Mickey in the sense that Rick goes out and thanks the fans. And uh-huh. he does it with pure sincerity. Yes. He's not doing it because he has to. He really goes, thank you. Thank you for supporting this music. Thank you for buying a ticket. Thank you for buying a T-shirt and keeping us on the road. And thank you for just being here. And, uh, and he means it. And Mickey's the same way. It's just... Mickey and both Peter, they both feel like this is a, a blessing, not a curse, mm-hmm. and they appreciate it. They don't take it for granted, and that's a that's a rare thing sometimes. But that's little Mickey Dolan's for you. I'll tell you what, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Your upbringing showing there. That's uh, like Tennessee for you, there, son. <laughs> that's right, Tennessee, Tennessee pride. So uh, yeah. This fantastic. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And just seriously, I'm telling you, as a longtime Monkees fan, this touring lineup and all the people backstage, what you guys do does not go unappreciated. And I know that like some people probably freak out when they get around you guys and stuff like that, and Mickey and Peter and everybody. But seriously, the fans are loving what you guys are putting out as far as the, the live music and 
the the new the new tracks from Good Times are doing very well with the audience as far as being received. Good. You know, good. there's a lot of uh, bands that'll that's put good. a new album out and then they'll play the new songs and everybody goes up to the bathroom <laughs> break. You know, I, I've been at that band. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but instead we're all wearing our pink party hats. So it all please works don't out. stop doing that. That's the best part of the show when we look out. And also, you know, what's funny is um we do we do um. <laughs> Randy Scouse get yes, and and Mickey puts on that poncho, and then mm-hmm. we have an intermission, and it never fails. After intermission, you look out in the audience, and all these people that were in their regular street clothes are now all wearing ponchos. <laughs> Mickey, they all got the intermission and scoop up all the ponchos. Mickey somehow cre- uh, cloned himself during intermission. He's, well, he's just encouraged. He's like like you know everyone's spellbound by the poncho. They have to go out and buy one. So that's always that's always great to look at and like ah there they go out the intermission. They went out and got some ponchos. The magic of the poncho. <laughs> it still works, man. It's still there. What a sexy beast that thing is. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, John, you've been on a list. You, you may not have known it, but I wanted you on the show for a long time now. Thank you. And, uh, You're so kind of it. You know, as one bass player to another, you're a little bit more known than I am. I just uh, pluck at it around the house anymore. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it you do fantastic work. And, again, we appreciate here at Zilch and everybody that you play in front of every night. You guys are very much appreciated. You're making it sound like it should. And thank you to Andrew and to everybody in the band. Hey, thank you so much, Ken. Thank you for the time and thank you for saying all that. Well, I'm, it's it's from my heart, seriously. Uh, my wife says, "Well, how do you know all these people's names?" I'm like, "How can I not? They're 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 paying homage to some of my favorite music of all time." And Peter Tork recently said in an interview that the Monkees may have the third best songbook in all of rock history. And you know, he may not be far off because when you look at it, it's obviously the Beatles are in the number one slot, then probably the Stones. Then you break it down into Who, Led Zeppelin, and the Monkees. And if you look at actual hits that they played on the radio, not deep FM cuts, it's probably the Monkees. I mean, for the diversity and for the amount of time that they were together originally in the 60s, they put out so much stuff. Isn't that it, crazy? It's they were just amazing. around for just a blink of an eye, and all of that media, all that the footage, the songs. Uh, I mean, Angie's pulling out video left and right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, these guys were only around for two years. Yeah, well, they, there was basically a year before the show hit because they were doing improv and getting picked, and then Boyce and Hart were doing their recordings, and then they actually brought them into the studio it's amazing to think in two years time they went from that tv show to the movie to eventually just the two of them davy and mickey doing changes and then the 80s happened and just to think in two years how much this band that a lot of people slag and don't call a band was able to produce amazing it's amazing it's it's really remarkable and what peter said is He's not. You're right. He's not far from the truth. It's this is music that's stuck with so many people. Mm-hmm. And if you ever get a chance to talk to Wayne Avers, you got to ask him about his experiences with other artists coming out mm-hmm. and the, the the celebrity fans. And he'll tell you about other musicians who just I'm dying to meet Davy Jones and I got to yeah. meet Mickey. And you're like like the Scorpions, you know, yeah. people like that. And you're like you never imagined the that these guys reached so many people in the industry. 
Well, it was weird. We had Ann Moses on. Uh, we just interviewed her the other day. And she was the editor of Tiger Beat. And it would it would be strange because, like, Jimmy Page, who was back then with the Yardbirds, would come over and he'd say, can you get me on the Monkees TV set? I just want to see it. <laughs> and then, you know, the Dave Clark Five were like, can we go to the Monkees place? You know, so she would, like, every once in a while take these stars over that, you know, it's so strange. People would say, oh, they, you know, they're not a real band and all this stuff. But all these cats in England that were, like, setting the pace... They wanted to come see the monkeys. Absolutely, bad. I mean, Mickey was hanging out with John Lennon and yeah. Paul. I mean, look at that. That's just crazy. They they loved it. They loved it themselves. Mm-hmm. Those guys all loved it themselves, and that's that says something about the music. Absolutely. You know, we started a hashtag induct kiss thing, and we got them in, and then we did it with Cheap Trick last year with our hashtag induct cheap trick and now we're doing hashtag induct the monkeys so we're working oh, on I that start adding that myself okay yeah good so so, so you need maybe to, you could do the impossible man make it happen it, it's not the impossible it's going to happen write it down write it down right. today happen i said it so why don't you do uh this is john billings use the hashtag induct hashtag induct the monkeys get them in the rock and roll hall of fame how about that Okay, this is John Billings, and please use the hashtag #InductTheMonkeys, and let's get these guys into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Excellent. Well, John, thank you for coming on Zilch today, and I just have to mention one of the loveliest women I've ever seen in my entire life, and I can't wait to meet both her and you at some point. But your wife is just an amazing-looking woman, and uh, I, you know, I <laughs> thank you. Sir. I have thank a crush you. on her and my wife, so you know, I'm just. <laughs> not trying to get in trouble here but you you really lucked out brother i did she's gorgeous she's beautiful and she's she's nodded off right here on the couch it's so funny to see her (laughs) she is amazing she's been she's been at she's the the epicenter of the start of a new life for me Uh and life that i should have always kind of led and it's just you know it's a blessing every single day Yep. Just amazing. I have a whole new family. I mean, it's just I know, you know, and it's weird because we're kind of like in the same thing. I got married in 2012, and my wife has her sons, and they are now my stepkids, but I call them my sons as well. And Absolutely. so you and I, besides being bass players, we have this kind of thing going on where, you know, I've actually, you know, see you with your kids and stuff on Facebook. And I think your wife posted a picture the other day, and I said something, you know, we need more love in the world and more love stories, and she she oh, liked absolutely. that. So I thought it was really cool, and I just wish the best you. for you, you and so your much. your new family. It's it's just a blessing to see it, and uh, as we grow our our uh, individual families uh, together, I wish the best to you and yours, and it's very same cool. to you, Ken. Same to you, sir. Thank you, brother. And I hope to uh, maybe I'll give you one of those. Peter Torque size hugs when uh, we meet that up would be in uh, great. Branson. We'll meet in Branson, right? Yep. It's going to be fantastic. Excellent. I'll have a right, zilch I'll, button for I'll you. I'll play better than I normally play. I won't suck quite as much. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much and give everybody. Uh, our love from the Zilch podcast and all of our listeners. Uh, just thank you for everything you guys do. Hey, thank you, Ken. I'll talk to you, sir. All right, be good. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. 
If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.